0: Welcome to the WNCT Podcast Network. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. It is a crisis that strikes at the very heart and soul and spirit of our national will. People have gotta know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. And so my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country.
1: and thank you for tuning into this episode of what the politics i'm victoria holmes here with emily and we are going to talk about the covid pandemic and we're going to talk about the origins of the covid pandemic some scenarios from those origins because we really don't know and our guest today is going to talk about some of the failures and successes of the world health organization about the united states um the former administration and the current presidential administration And we're also gonna talk about some of the things that we can learn and take forward when it comes to future pandemics, because like our guest said, and you'll hear him say this, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. So I'm gonna go ahead and let our guest introduce himself.
0: Well, hi, I'm Dan Gerstein. Uh, I am with the RAND Corporation, and I am uh, a former Undersecretary uh, with the Department of Homeland Security, where I was in the Science and Technology Directorate, where we looked to bring new innovations into uh, the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, Today, I'm going to be talking a little bit about COVID-19, which is a topic that over the last year and a half or so, uh, I've had lots of opportunity to engage with and testify in front of Congress and uh, to uh, give lots of speeches on. So I'm looking forward to today's discussion.
2: Mm -hmm. Awesome. And we are so happy to have you. And just for somebody who doesn't necessarily know what RAND is, could you give us a little bit of a summary about what that is?
0: Sure. Well, the RAND Corporation is uh, actually the oldest think tank in the United States. Uh, And what uh, it started off as was uh, really helping the Air Force think through very difficult problems And it started in 1947, and some of the problems we dealt with were questions such as nuclear deterrence and, uh, you know, bombing strategies and things like that. And since that time, uh, we have uh, expanded greatly. And so uh, some people still do Air Force work and Army work has come to the fore. But we also uh, now have a federally funded research and development center that supports the Department of Homeland Security, uh, and uh, we also have a business unit that does uh, work with the Affordable Care Act and healthcare. Uh, I happen to work on a lot of uh, areas uh, that involve science and technology, that involve bio defense and biotechnology, uh, as well as some of the homeland defense areas where I was involved when I was in the department.
1: Mm-hmm. And your background to me is so fascinating, and I am super excited for this conversation. Um, before we get into the the origins of the COVID uh, pandemic and kind of discuss a little bit about that history and what's been going on within the past year, when you worked there, did you have any sort of... Um, I I can imagine that there might be like simulations of something like this happening, but were you kind of always prepared or thinking about or working with, um, origins of pandemics or even how pandemics might affect, um, the United States and the rest of the world? And, and if so, does it, does it seem like things might've veered off course from those simulations or how, how are things (laughs) compared to when you worked there, if there were sort of those kind of simulations?
0: Boy, that is a great question. It's like a (laughs) softball coming right at you. So uh, my uh, PhD is actually in uh, countering biological warfare or biodefense. And, uh, you know, when I got to the department, we actually had some uh, pretty uh, large laboratories that do uh, biodefense uh, work. They're high containment laboratories. And, uh, you know, we have known people in the business, if you will, have known for a long time that we are at risk uh, in terms of uh, our preparations for pandemics, for a biological warfare attack, or a bioterrorism attack. And if you look at the history, and we don't have to go back very far, even over the last 20 years, we had the anthrax attacks back in 2001. Uh, We have had a, a series of Uh, what I would consider very dangerous, naturally occurring events like uh, the SARS in 2003, uh, the the, uh, severe acute respiratory syndrome, which is really the forerunner of the the COVID. Uh, We had uh, H1N1 back in 2009. Uh, We had uh, the Ebola in 2014, which was the largest Ebola outbreak ever. And we had Zika. Uh, the Zika virus, which was transmitted by mosquitoes. And all of this tells us that uh, we are at increasing risk from bio threats. And uh, that's something that we really need to think about. And some of that is actually due to human activity. And so we do have the opportunity. Uh, to change the way we approach our interface with uh, the natural environment to lessen the chances of a spillover like we have seen with COVID.
1: Mm-hmm. And when it comes to specifically COVID, there's been some scenarios laid out about it might have been from a, a lab in Wuhan. It might have been from, um, I believe, a, a market in in the same kind of area. Um from your experience and, and kind of just the ideas or from the ideas that you've seen and, and what's been investigated in those areas, what are you thinking is the most likely scenario? and do you have any sort of um, uh, comments on kind of the dangers of just like laying out two scenarios and not really investigating anyth- anything further?
0: Well, right. I mean, my my, uh, concern, and I I wrote an op-ed on this, was uh, that we were sort of focused on binary. We said, you know, it's either escape from the laboratory, uh, it was something that was being used in the laboratory, or it was a natural spillover. But when I think about it, there could be other ways in which this would have occurred. For example, you know, what if workers from the Wuhan laboratory we're going into caves where the bats that uh, are hosts for coronaviruses uh, are living, and uh, they are not in proper protective equipment, or they don't decontaminate after going in. They could easily have brought uh, a uh, some sort of virus, coronavirus, in, and then perhaps it mutated, and then uh, it could have uh, quote escaped from the lab. So. You know, I like to think of lots of scenarios and, you know, which are the most likely.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when it comes to, um, well, I, I guess this is kind of just like a commentary on, on the dangers of focusing yeah. on binary uh, scenarios and kind of trying to find simple answers. I think that's something that we've definitely noticed is that there are you know, two major scenarios that seem to take up the national or the international conversation. But in reality, I mean, it's just, that's to me kind of like a human way of trying to rationalize (laughs) something. Yeah. (laughs) Something so crazy, right? you know, a worldwide pandemic. Um, When it comes to the the World Health Organization's investigation into Mm -hmm. the origin, do you have any comments on how that kind of went about? Because there were some critiques saying that they didn't necessarily do their due diligence in, in investigating the origins.
0: Yeah, you know, the first thing, again, good question, but the first thing I'd like to do is kind of lay out how well did the WHO do in general? Mm -hmm. And if we compare it to the SARS 2003 and now the uh, COVID-19, what you see is that, you know, the first case uh, was, uh, you know, from the time of first case uh, to it was reported to the WHO, in 2003, it took 87 days. Mm -hmm. When you look at uh, COVID, it only took 23 days. So they had almost cut their time by two-thirds. When you look at the time it took uh, to actually give an alert, in 2003, it took 117 days. And in COVID, it only took 53 days. And so, you know, yes, the WHO is ripe for criticism. Mm -hmm. But we should also remember that, you know, these are very difficult events to characterize and to make judgments about. Mm -hmm. And they were not the only institution, and I include nation states in that, like the United States, who had a problem in making decisions and made some very poor decisions as well. You know, Mm -hmm. we also have to think about the World Health Organization in terms of it is a reflection of the member states. And by that, I mean, you know, the member states do not uh, want the WHA or didn't, WHO did not want WHO to have enforcement authority or to compel member states. They wanted to have it as a coordination and a information uh, gathering and uh, sharing organization. And so, you know, given that, you know, the WHO is somewhat limited in what they can do. And that's one of the things that is being looked at. In fact, there was a World Health Organization independent panel that was chaired back uh, last May, and it just reported out its findings. And you know, some of the findings are really very interesting and kind of lay out the concerns about uh, its authorities and its capacities.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about uh, the United States in, in that capacity. Um, the presidential responses from when uh, President Trump, when it first came out, uh, I believe last March, when it kind of like hit national headlines yeah. and became like kind of a big deal, um, President President Trump's response then and then what's going on right now with President Biden's actions and plans and the vaccination efforts. So if you want to talk about um, any comments on maybe our our lack of our failures or even our success within when it first came to the United States, um, please share them.
0: Well, you know, I had the opportunity to testify in front of the uh, House of Representatives Science, Space and Technology Committee back in May of last year. Mm -hmm. And at the time, uh, and it was pretty early on, it was only a couple months into it, depending on how you count it. I characterize it as being slow, inconsistent and deservedly become a target of criticism. And I stand behind that. Uh, We had many areas in which we saw shortfalls. Uh, First and foremost, you know, we demonstrated a lack of capacity. Uh, Our testing capabilities uh, never really matured and got to where they should be. We had problems with the Centers for Disease Control trying to have uh, and develop their own testing, and they made some mistakes there. You know, the early downplaying of the virus was really problematic, and it created this idea of uncertainty and misinformation. You know, uh, for every day that was wasted in debates, uh, that was additional people who were going to become ill and additional people who would die. We know that. I mean, that's the nature of the virus. Mm -hmm. You know, we had a problem with science versus politics, and there were lots of mixed messages that came out. We also didn't listen to countries who had had experience with the 2003 SARS outbreak those countries tended to do better in their response because they had seen a SARS coronavirus uh, and were uh, better equipped to deal with it. Uh, And, you know, there were other decisions, like, you know, the travel ban that uh, President Trump put in place. You know, uh, that probably didn't come soon enough, and he was criticized for even putting it in place when he did. But on the other hand, you know, causing all those Americans to be repatriated so rapidly caused a super spreader event. Mm -hmm. And then finally, you know, I just have to say the White House kind of had a pickup team and a pickup approach. Uh, They they, they had done away with the playbook for pandemics that the National Security Council had had. And, uh, you know, that was a problem as well.
1: Mm -hmm. And so kind of moving forward to to the vaccination efforts uh president trump i know has has in his i guess off, office with i don't know i'm having oval like a, a yeah his office <laughs> is his uh, what the word was the office? oval office <laughs> um his um administration there we go his administration yes. have taken credit for vaccination efforts from the beginning um saying that uh they're they're the ones that kind of created this this vaccination plan, rollout plan, et cetera. And Joe Biden's right now kind of uh we just passed the the July fourth deadline where he wanted like a certain number of Americans being vaccinated. In terms of vaccination, I mean, what what are your thoughts on because on, to me it's pretty incredible how within a year we've been able to roll out Three different vaccines have a number of Americans vaccinated. But then again, I'm not an expert in this area in terms of rolling out those kind of plans to make sure that the, the country is is adequately, adequately respond, responding to a pandemic. Uh, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Well, I, I mean, I think, uh, look, I was pretty hard on my initial assessment of mm-hmm. the federal response, so let me give credit where it's due. I mean, I think Operation Warp Speed was, in general, a, uh, the right approach. Uh, but what we have to understand is what Operation Warp Speed actually did was it placed a series of bets.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It bet on various vaccines, and it committed to buying those vaccines when they became available. Again, the right approach. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, what Operation Warp Speed did was, it only took the vaccines from the distribution plants and moved them to the states, and uh, you know that did not get it to where it needed to go. So uh, what I think the Biden administration has rightly done was they put a full-court press on. Uh, And they developed what I call the distribution to the last tactical mile, and that is getting shots in arms. You know, Mm -hmm. the states are ill-equipped to take care of all this by themselves. They weren't getting good information, which was the initial part of the problem. But, you know, even being able to uh, set up distribution centers, you know, that took the Federal Emergency Management Agency. It took a federal uh, assistance to the states. And so I, I think that you have to credit the Biden administration with having the foresight to recognize that uh, this needed to be a national uh, vaccination effort mm-hmm. and not, you know, simply be uh, given to the states and told them, tell them to uh, to move out. You know, the other thing I'd like to point out, you know, uh, this really, the vaccine development really highlights the importance of the federal government in other areas as well. You know, the vaccines, the messenger RNA, the new technology, that new technology was not done over the last 18 months. In fact, it builds on technology such as the Human Genome Project, which was funded by the federal and by international partners. It was based on uh, our Uh, new understandings of uh, the DNA engineering and CRISPR-Cas9, which is a DNA engineering tool. And so, you know, all of this comes together, and it says that while we like to say the vaccine was done over 18 months, you know, DARPA actually sort of started mRNA vaccine technology uh, back in approximately 2010, And so, yes, uh, you know, it was a tremendous effort and it shows what science can do, but it also highlights the need to be thinking into the future about how to handle future problems. Mm
2: Definitely. And I, I kind of want to move into the background of the Bioweapons Treaty. I know you did, you know, you wrote an article about this titled, Could the Bioweapons Treaty Be Another Tool for Addressing the Pandemic? So can you kind of break down the ideas in that article for us and, and how this kind of plays into the pandemic?
0: Sure. So, uh, you know, several years ago, I had actually written a book on the Biological Weapons Convention. Mm-hmm. And I the working title uh, that I, I had was uh, the most important treaty of the 21st century that you've never heard of. Mm. And, you know, part of the reason uh, why I was so interested in writing about this was because uh, it seemed to me that you had a treaty which, you know, was an unequivocal norm against the use of biological pathogens as weapons. And my thought was, you know, it has uh, a decision-making capability that meets every five years and that uh, RevCon, as it's called, Review Conference, was due to meet in November of this year. And so what I was trying to do was to say, you know, as a minimum, we've had the largest biological issue in the last hundred years. Shouldn't we have a discussion about this? And what can the BWC do to better support uh, and be available as an avenue for addressing concerns? And so, uh, you know, I, I wrote the, the article. It's interesting that once I, I was kind of at the forefront of, of talking about some of these reform issues and, and uh, what, you know, might be, uh, you know, opportunities to talk about it. And, you know, then uh, you have uh, the WHO independent panel, which rolled in. Uh, the World Health Assembly just considered it uh, in uh, last May of 2021. The European Union is now calling for a treaty on pandemics. Uh, there's a pandemic mitigation project, which is based on a non-proliferation agreement. Uh, and it's, be- it's talking about a notification requirement and a grant of access and enforcement provisions And, you know, there's even the possibility of a United Nations Security Council resolution. But, you know, the real point is that we need to take action. We need to figure out which way is going to work the best. But we can't be caught uh, unavailable for uh, meeting the demands of— Uh, A future pandemic. And make no mistake, I mean, we are going to see a future pandemic. History indicates that. And it also indicates that we're seeing, uh, you know, in some respects, we're seeing it occur more rapidly. So uh, we need to take it on now uh, as we're uh, finishing up, hopefully, uh, with COVID-19. And, uh, you know, we need to be better prepared for the next one.
1: On, on an international level, what would you say would be the biggest, I mean, I don't want to focus on the negative, but I mean, what would you say would be the biggest failure? I know well, it's kind you know, of a broad question, but I, I don't yeah, know. Mm-hmm. Just a couple
0: things. I mean, the WHO wasn't well-prepared because of the authorities and uh, its capacities, and that is on the member nations. But I'd also have to say that, you know, there were a couple problems that I've already highlighted with sharing of information and collaboration. I think those uh, are very important. But you know, another one that I find uh, kind of fascinating is that you know, we got into exactly what you shouldn't do during a global crisis. And that is we started fighting among nations and competing for things like personal protective equipment, uh, you know even vaccine nationalism, Uh, You know, there were decisions that were made which weren't necessarily in the best interest of uh, the world, uh, and they were more focused uh, about, you know, taking care of individual nations. And I certainly understand that, you know, leaders are elected uh, to take care of their own nations, but there does come a point in time at which we have to figure out how to share uh, across the globe because— we will continue to see COVID-19. It will keep mutating and it will keep coming back unless we can have a preponderance of the world vaccinated. Uh, And, you know, there are a lot of different ways that we can go about doing that, but we need to, we can't just stop once the United States uh, seems to have gotten the virus under control.
1: Mm -hmm. And, and I believe I have one more question. Emily has one more question. So these are the last questions for you, but when it comes to the pandemic and some of the necessi- necessi- necessities out of what came out of the pandemic besides vaccination efforts do you see anything else that that seemed to work and that we could use in the future that could be a tool
0: uh well i mean i, I do think that there are some really interesting things to come out of the pandemic i mean mm-hmm. the first is that uh, we have gotten a newfound understanding of global supply chains. Uh, you know, people have awoken to realize that uh, we are very interconnected, whether it's our food supply, whether it's, uh, you know, the the steel and such, whether it's rare earth uh, materials, all of those issues. And, you know, even for the manufacture of uh, certain pharmaceuticals and therapeutics, uh, you know, we absolutely depend on people Uh, outside of the United States. And so we need to think about our supply chains. You know, we also need to uh, think about how we have seen a transformation uh, to a virtual society. Mm. I I wrote uh, previously an article about uh, thinking about uh, the future of work. And in it, I argued that we really needed to have a dialogue about what the future of work looks like. Uh, as we transition to a virtual society with less workers that are doers and more people that are probably involved in thinking and research and development. And I think we, we've seen ourselves you know, move to more of a virtual society, uh, and that is going to have significant implications for our economy. So uh, I think those are lessons that we, uh, we definitely want to learn. You know, there were also some winners and losers that uh, started to come out uh, early on in the pandemic. You know, obviously, a winner is the virtual communications, the science and the technology, uh, you know, some of the, you know, the tele-anything, telework, telemedicine, teleeducation. education uh, But we also demonstrated that more needs to be done. Mm-hmm. We need to think about those industries uh, that may not recover uh, ever, or certainly as quickly as, uh, you know, some of the, the the more resilient ones. So I, I think there's some interesting things to be learned there as well.
2: Mm-hmm. And my last question for you, and you, you said a little bit earlier that this is really now about kind of finding those next steps and adequate responses for, you know, when this does happen again, because inevitably it will. So in your opinion, what is, you know, the most important or some of the most important things that our government needs to focus on? For when this does happen again
0: yeah so uh, one of the areas that i'm very excited about and i'm i am thrilled that the biden administration has taken this on but uh they've talked a lot about research and development and you know one of my conclusions is that the technology of today was the basic research of yesterday the investments that were made. And I talked a little bit about the Human Genome Project and the messenger RNA vaccine, but that's really important. And we need to figure out where those sweet spots are and we really need to go after them. You know, another thing that I think is fascinating is, you know, typically a vaccine takes about a decade to get approved. Mm -hmm. And here we were able, again, not from a complete standing start, but we were able to get it approved in, you know, some nine months. Uh, You know, depending on, again, how you measure it. Uh, And that is terrific. And the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, did great work in in, uh, being very willing to move the process forward. So, you know, my thought is, you know, we are trying to do and develop 21st century technology with 20th century processes and 18th century laws and regulations. Mm -hmm. And we've got to figure out a way to make ourselves more agile and resilient. So that's another big one. And I, you know the final one I would say is uh, actually two more. Uh, <laughs> you know, we are really challenged to be able to identify, assist, and mitigate risks. We have a real problem with that. Uh, and it's causing us uh, a great deal of problems in trying to recover. From this pandemic, you know, and how we talk about them, how we communicate them, and how we understand them needs to be improved. And I promise this will be the last one, but (laughs) I worry that policy and science can't be standalone. You can't have policy without science because that's fantasy, but you can't have science without policy. That's a problem too. You know, the idea of using hydrochloroquine and bleach, as Trump had suggested, You know, that's you know, that that is not science that that is I'm not sure what to make of that. But on the other hand, you know, in the in the Biden administration, the CDC director made a couple missteps in talking about mass guidance after vaccination, which was also problematic. And what she was talking about was uh, not a, a mistaken statement so much as she was telling you what the science said. But, you know, it's up to leaders to interpret how that science then translates into policy uh, applications that can be implemented across the, the people, across the population. So I think that's really important to think about.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, all very fascinating points. And, and I think when it comes to, to future, what the future holds for us, I think it's more promising than than you know, negative. Um, I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. I mean, you have just such a fascinating background. I could yeah. talk to you for hours about things <laughs> that are not on this outline that we just had. I mean, really, I just, I just think you have just the coolest role in what's going on right now. Yeah. And it's so necessary. So I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today.
0: Thanks. I enjoyed it. Thank you
1: awesome. so Good much. Thank you so you. much. You as well. All right, everyone, that's going to wrap up this episode of What
2: the Politics. Our special guest today had such a fascinating background and gave us such great information. And if you guys want to find out more of the research that he's done, he is a senior policy researcher at the Rand Corporation. We'll link some of those policy research that he's done and some of those articles that he's done below. So you guys can check those out as well. And again, Victoria said this at the beginning of our podcast and our special guest said this during our podcast. It's not really a matter of If another pandemic happens, it's a matter of when. So it's really important to make sure that we're focusing on those adequate responses for the future and what that could bring. So that's going to wrap up this episode. You can always find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, of course, at WNCT.com under the Features tab on the WNCT Podcast Network and wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.